In a hole in the ground, there lived a hobbit. Not a nasty, dirty, wet hole filled with the ends of worms and an oozy smell, nor yet a dry, bare, sandy hole with nothing in it to sit down on or to eat. It was a hobbit hole, and that means comfort. Those were the opening lines to The Hobbit, the precursor to the Lord of the Rings books by J.R.R. Tolkien. And they describe this race of beings called the hobbits. Uh, reading this description, you wouldn't think that such a character could ever be the hero of a story. I mean, the, the description, it focuses on his homeliness and his aversion to danger and his dislike, his distaste for any kind of adventure. And yet this unlikely hero of the story, his name is Bilbo Baggins, gets caught up in something far larger than just himself throughout the story. And if you are familiar with the Lord of the Rings, um, you'll know that hobbits play a central role in those stories as well. And in fact, uh, the entire fate of all of Middle-earth hangs in the balance of what they're able to accomplish. And the, the whole reason they, that they as a people are chosen in that story is because no one would expect that hobbits would take on such a monumental task. In fact, the, the most important deed towards the end of the story that happens there, it's done because of the strength, not of the main character Frodo, but because of his friend Sam, who was only taken along on the adventure because he was Frodo's gardener. Uh, Truly, in this story, things are not what they seem. It's a cast of unlikely heroes. Now, part of the reason that we love stories like this is because of this idea of an underdog story, right? I mean, how many times have you heard references to movies like Friday Night Lights or Rocky or The Pursuit of Happiness when you're talking about the uh, resilience of the human spirit and the ability to triumph against any odds, right? Uh, we want to root for the little guy because we see ourselves in them in some small way. And we want to be reassured that our small lives matter, right? That, that it is possible to overcome the odds, that um, it's worth pressing on past our own pain and past our own suffering, or maybe just that our ordinary simple lives matter for something more than just having clean dishes for the next day, right? Well, if you couldn't tell uh, by the opening reading, I am a bit of a nerd. So um, as I'm thinking about some of these unlikely hero characters, one of the um, heroes that comes to mind for me is Captain America. Uh, I was actually talking to a friend of mine just a couple weeks ago whose favorite superhero is Cap, and he told me that the reason that he loves Captain America so much is because the real hero behind him is Steve Rogers. Um, that in all of the, the best Captain America stories, it's really Steve who's the hero in those stories. Um, even before Steve gets his superpowers, he has this um, depth of character to him. He's fighting for truth and justice. If you've, uh, if you've watched the first Captain America movie, uh, you'll see that even when he's just a scrawny kid, he still wants to stand up for what's right, even when he doesn't have the strength to back it up. 
Um, and so then when he does get his superpowers, when he does get his strength, he just becomes this, this beacon of goodness, right? He's able to back up his ideals. And it's all because of that character that he cultivated before he had the strength to, to be able to live it out. Um, on, on the opposite side of uh, the idea of these kind of unlikely characters and, and still along with the theme of comic book movies um, and Marvel movies is uh, Iron Man. Okay, and if you know, the, the person behind the mask in Iron Man is a man called Tony Stark. And he is a rich, uh, selfish, kind of warmonger, right? He's an arms dealer. He creates weapons and then sells them to the highest bidder. And he lives his life really selfishly. Uh, at the beginning of this movie, I mean, you kind of have to wonder, how is this guy going to be a hero, right? You, you don't like him. He's a bit of a jerk throughout the whole movie, uh, or at least as it starts out. And, and yet by the end of the entire Avengers saga, he becomes one of the most important characters. He gives everything he has for the sake of humanity. It's, it's certainly not what you'd expect from the very outset. Uh, so whether it, comes to, whether it comes from one of these stories, these, these rags to riches tales from uh, you know, the little guy who you don't think is going to be able to accomplish much, or whether it's this hero who is selfish, who doesn't seem to have any ideals, often we can make judgments about people and about situations and scenarios without recognizing how flawed that our own perception is because we don't know how the story's gonna play out. We don't know the end from the beginning. Well, this morning, we're gonna be taking a look at a pair of unlikely characters, how God used them to do amazing things and what that tells us about who God is and how he works, even through the people that we would least expect. So pray with me, church, and we'll go ahead and get started this morning. So Lord, we pray that as we read the scripture, as we hear from you, that you would teach us here this morning. Show us what you have um, to say. Open our eyes to your truth and change us, God, as we stand uh, under your word. We know that your word is true, that you are truth. So teach us here this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Okay, well, with all the talk of hobbits and superheroes, um, I realize that I haven't even introduced myself yet. So if this is your first time visiting, um, and for all of you over in the classic service, welcome. Thanks for being here this morning. Um, my name is Josh, and I'm on staff here at Austin Oaks Church. Uh, we are a church that's simply about Jesus, and everything we do is so that you would meet, know, and follow him. Uh, this year as a church, we've been going through the book of Acts together and seeing how God has built his church from the very beginning so that we can learn how to be the church through his power. Uh, so today we're going to be taking a look in Acts chapter 8. We're taking a look at the story of Philip. Uh, he was first introduced back in chapter 6 along with Stephen. Um, and Stephen, um, Pastor BJ, preached on Stephen last Sunday, if you were here with us. Uh, both Stephen and Philip, they were some of the men who were appointed um, to be servants within the church, if you remember that back in chapter 6. So 
um, they were serving tables so that the apostles were able to go out and preach the word to the people. So if you put yourself in the shoes of these, these characters here, so the church was growing, Jesus had ascended, the church was growing and uh, it was becoming too large for just the apostles to oversee everything that was happening within the church. They needed to go out, they needed to witness to what they had seen uh, through Jesus. And so they appointed these men within the church that would set up tables and feed people and tear things down, really simple, practical jobs. And uh, both Philip and Stephen were doing these, these things. They were uh, what some churches called deacons within the church, just getting kind of the practical things done. Um, and, and if it would have stayed there, if that's all we ever heard about Philip, then we could easily say that he was indeed carrying out the Lord's will within the church because he was blessing others through his service. And we could say the same thing about Stephen, right? Um, but like Stephen, we actually see that God begins to use Philip in mighty ways, that his ministry is actually increasing, that as Philip is faithful in these small things of, of just serving the people within his church, that God will actually gives him more ministry to do, greater things to do, um, things that we can start to see how it fits into what God is doing, especially in the book of Acts, where he begins to, uh, the Spirit's poured out and the message of the gospel goes forth out into the world, right? So the ones that we see, the ones that we think, when, when we read about someone who was appointed to serve tables, oftentimes we don't think of large things. We don't think that they are important people, really. I mean, when Philip is first introduced, he's not a main character, right? He's just kind of, it seems like he's set on the sidelines. He's this side character as we're really focusing on what the apostles are doing and how they are ministering and preaching with boldness out in the world. But we can see here through how God uses Philip that God is actually using the ones who are doing the small jobs. See, because we don't know from our perspective what small things are, what large things are. God is actually using everyone in each of their different positions in order to bring about his will. Often we can see things that, that we're doing and we think we're just a small little piece in things that are happening, that what we're doing doesn't really matter. It doesn't serve that much of a purpose. But, but when we recognize that our perspective isn't all that there is, we can begin to see that God has a much bigger plan, right? He's, he's working, he's doing something amazing through it all. So as the story goes, after the death of Stephen that Pastor BJ preached on last Sunday, this, this fledgling church, of course, it's, it's grown pretty large, but it's just the beginning of this church here. It's scattered because of a wave of persecution from those who stood against them, right? There, there were people that, were, uh, that, that stoned Stephen, that killed him, and they were invigorated to continue to persecute this church. And so the church scattered. It no longer stayed in one place. And um, as you'd imagine, anyone in that same position would do, they went into hiding and they were quiet and they didn't tell anyone. No, 
That's not actually what they did. They, they went out and it, because it says that they scattered, it says that they, the, the Bible says that the people that they were around, they began witnessing to. Okay, they were no longer together as a church. They found themselves in, in different cities, in different places around Jerusalem, no longer within Jerusalem, but outside of Jerusalem. They found themselves in these, in these strange places and they began to witness, to tell other people about who Jesus was and what he had done, even while they were under heavy persecution. Right, so we read here in Acts chapter eight, verses four, I'm gonna read through verse eight. It says, now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. See, so now we see that Philip gets a major upgrade here, right? He goes from waiting tables within the church, which again is a good thing. But now instead of that, now he's in the midst of this ministry. He's seeing God work, right? He's telling people about the good news of Jesus and he's reaching out to the surrounding people. See, back in the beginning of the book of Acts, if you remember, um, before Jesus ascended, he, he said something really amazing that pretty much wraps up the entire book of Acts. Um, and it's in Acts chapter one, it's verse eight. Jesus said that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Sumeria and to the end of the earth. And here we see that Philip goes into Samaria, one of the places that Jesus said that his people would go. So Philip is on the forefront of ministry here, of what God is doing in getting the word out and getting the gospel to the entire world. Now, if you're familiar with the Samaritans and the Jews, they didn't like each other to say the least. There was racial tension between the Jews and the Samaritans. They considered each other half-bloods, that they didn't worship the way they ought to have been worshiped. They wanted to kill each other. There was ethnic conflict between these two groups here. And yet, revival is breaking out because of the good news of Jesus that's preached here. People, it says that people are receptive to the message, that they're captivated by the gospel And God is confirming what they're doing, both through the the miracles that are happening here of of healing, of of, uh, sending out demons from the demon-possessed, right? Man, so, so you see Philip, again, going from waiting tables to doing these amazing things, Right, reconciling people to God through the message of the gospel, uh, making people who were formerly his enemies, now they're friends, now they're family within the kingdom of God. So after this, you'd imagine that Philip would be moving to even bigger and better things, right? From waiting tables to going into Samaria. Maybe he's gonna start a huge church in Samaria and send people out to the ends of the earth. Or or maybe he would just go on to the next place and continue preaching and, and revival would break out there as well, right? Well, let's read what God has for him to do next. Okay, let's jump to verse 26. It says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, 
Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. So God takes Philip out of Samaria and he sends him to the desert. And and notice that God didn't tell Philip where he was going to end up. He didn't tell Philip what he was going to do when he got there. No, he just said, take this desert road, right? In fact, historians tell us that this particular road, it wasn't even typically used anymore. There were newer ones that people went on. So when the scripture says that it was a desert road, it also means that this road was typically deserted, that no one was there, that you wouldn't expect to meet anyone as you're walking along the desert road. Now put yourself in Philip's shoes, right? He just saw revival break out among a people who were considered to be his enemies, right? They were engaged by the good news. Miracles were done. People were brought from spiritual death to spiritual life. And now God calls you into the desert, somewhere far from the expectation of interaction with other people. It it seems like there wasn't even ministry to do, right? Like, why, why go out into the desert? It seems really unlikely that there was something that, that God was calling Philip to. Because again, God didn't say that, okay, just go down this road. It's going to be a few days and then you'll come to the thriving metropolis where you'll be able to preach the word. No, God just said to go. Go out into the desert. I have to ask, do, do you feel that way this morning? Like maybe God has called you into the desert. That yes, you've, you've seen God do amazing things in your life. You have been made alive. You're a new creature in Christ. Maybe you've, you've shared, you've witnessed to people around you, your family and your friends, and you've seen God do some awesome things in your life. But right now, your life just feels barren and maybe you feel like you're alone. Right? Well, this isn't the end of Philip's story and it's not the end of your story either. See, because when we recognize that our perspective is, is faulty, it, we, don't, we can't capture the full picture of all things. God has a plan. He knows the end from the beginning and we only see in part of what God's doing. So while we might have written off Philip, oh, he's going off into the desert now, God is doing something awesome. And I think you're gonna be encouraged by what comes next in the passage. So moving on, starting in verse 27, it says that Philip rose and went and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who is in charge of all her treasure. He'd come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? So the unlikely thing actually happens. Philip meets someone else on this road. He meets an Ethiopian eunuch. 
if you're not familiar with that term, a eunuch is someone who uh, served within the court of the queen. And usually it means that he was physically emasculated. I'm not going to go into detail about what that means. Um, but it was so that nothing untoward would happen between him and the queen. It was physically impossible. Um, so this seems like a pretty unlikely scenario as well. Because look at this man. He's, he's not just a, a normal person that you'd see every day traveling down this road. He, he came from a far country. And in fact, Ethiopia would have been considered, I mean, the edge of the known world at this time. Um, this man was somewhat of a proselyte as well, right? Because he was trying to follow the teachings of Judaism. You see that he had gone to the temple to worship during this time, during the time of Passover. He wanted to follow the laws of the Jewish God. He, he was trying to do these things. And, and yet still, um, if you're familiar with some of the laws in the Old Testament, you'd know that a eunuch was not permitted within the temple of the Lord. So although he traveled a very far distance in order to get to the temple in Jerusalem, he couldn't actually go into the temple. So, so he was trying to, to carry out these laws, but he wasn't able to, to, to fully do everything that he, he possibly could have. It was, it was very strange to see a man like this who was trying to live out the law of the Lord. Um, on top of that, it just so happened that he was reading in the prophet Isaiah and he was reading about the prophecies of Jesus to come. So on the one hand, it seems like Philip is just teed up to share the gospel with this man, right? Reading the prophecies of Jesus. But on the other hand, let's take a look at all the, the differences between Philip and this Ethiopian eunuch right? I mean, there were, there were a lot of excuses that Philip could have come up with, uh, reasons why uh, maybe, maybe I shouldn't speak to that guy, right? I mean, there were cultural differences. <laughs> Someone who came from Ethiopia and, and a Greek man who lived in, in Jerusalem, right? You can imagine um, there might be a little awkwardness. I, I don't know how to talk to this guy who lives in this far-off country, this foreigner, I don't know what I'm supposed to say. It could be awkward. I might uh, step on his toes by some of the things that I have to say. Um, there were clearly racial differences as well. In Ethiopian, this was a, a black man. Uh, more than likely, Philip had olive tinted skin. So there were differences there as well in addition to his culture. Uh, different religious views, Jews and, and Gentiles right? Someone, someone being foreign to these things. Um, obviously, there are vocational and socioeconomic differences as well. Philip being a commoner uh, within the Roman Empire, and this man is not only, you can imagine how rich he is being in a chariot. Uh, he's serving, directly serving the queen, but it says that he's actually taking, he, he's the treasurer of the queen, right? So he's taking care of, of the financial issues. So, so he's pretty rich. You can see all these differences, all these reasons why Philip would say, I, I don't think I can talk to that guy, right? There's, there's, there are all these differences between us. Their, their day-to-day lives were vastly different. Um, and one more thing, um, 
you know, I was looking for, for pictures of this scene to help us to, to put ourselves in Philip's shoes, you know, and, and all the pictures that I found, it seemed like there were, you know, two, two very common men. This is the best picture that I could come up with. You know, this, this seems more like a medieval painting. Uh, but really, if you think about it, Philip had been walking this desert road for days at this point. He was probably really sweaty really dirty. He probably smelled really bad compared with, again, this man who was rich, who had a chariot. There were a number of reasons that Philip could have easily just said, not this time, God. I, I, I can't talk to that guy. Look at me. How could you use me? But see, to Philip, those differences didn't matter. Not at all. Just like when he left Samaria to go on the desert road without any details from God, so too we see him following God's call in his life to make disciples and not letting any of these differences get in the way. Not letting any potential awkwardness that there might be get in the way of sharing the gospel of Jesus. What excuses do we make today? Right? Do, do we identify people by our differences rather than our mutual need for Christ? Because yeah, we have differences. All of us have different life experiences. There is the potential for awkwardness in just about any conversation. I mean, it's a holiday weekend. You'll probably gather together with friends and family and there are probably topics that you don't want to talk about around them, Right? But does Jesus give us an out for making disciples? Was his call on our lives to go out and make disciples, except when it's awkward, except when they're different from you? You know, go to the people that will understand you. Go to the people and make disciples out of those who are most like you. Is Is that really what Jesus has said? Is that what he's told us? Actually, the the opposite is true. He said to go out into all the world and make disciples and teach them. And he also said, I will be with you until the end of the age. Right? We see in this story that, that yes, God is the one who's put all these pieces together. He sent Philip there. He's the one who had orchestrated that this Ethiopian eunuch would be here as well. And we we get to see that when we take his perspective on what's going on. Because from our perspective, there's every reason for this not to be uh, something awesome. But, But when we see what God is doing through all of it, this is just the beginning of the gospel going forth into all the world. And I think, I, I, I just have to say that just like in this story where God is orchestrating the events, so too he has placed you and all of those around you exactly where he wants you. They're in your life for a reason. He's given you a mission field wherever you find yourself. Because even on this desert road, God put Philip on mission. And often we can't see what God's doing. <laughs> it, it can be uncomfortable. It feels barren. It feels lonely sometimes. But that's from our perspective. That's from our limited view of what's going on. 
if we can take God's perspective and see that he's working something out through our lives, then we can see ourselves as a part of his story. Let's continue on in uh, verse 30. It says that, so Philip ran to him. He heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. Like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. See, Isaiah's prophecy here was about Jesus. Would you have been able to teach this man if he were to ask you, if he were to come to you and and bring to you these scriptures? Hey, I'm reading Isaiah 53. What does this mean? Who, Who is Isaiah talking about? If maybe some of your friends or a family member, just someone you know, were to come to you with the Bible and were to ask you, what, what does this mean? I, I don't quite understand this. Would you be able to give them an answer? It's challenging, I know, I know. It, it's not easy. There are some really hard things found in the scriptures, but we need to know the Bible 2 Timothy 4 verse 2 says to to preach the word, to be ready in season and out of season, to reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. As followers of Christ, we need to know the scriptures because the scriptures are what teaches us about who God is. It teaches us about who, who Jesus is. Right? If we live simply about Jesus, then we can't help but know him by diving into the scriptures, by, by reading about him, by, by figuring out what all this means from, from beginning to end. So if we want people in our lives to meet Jesus, then we need to know Jesus and we need to be following him. And, and that starts with small day in and day out practices of faith. Just small steps. It starts with, with prayer, daily prayer. Asking, just coming before the Lord and pouring yourself out. Letting him know your thoughts, your feelings. Seeing him and how holy he is and who you are in light of that. In prayer. It seems small. And, and obviously also by, by reading the scriptures, by diving in every day taking time to read some more. And again, I, I recognize some scriptures are, are pretty hard, but if you're following Jesus, the spirit of God is within you. The Holy Spirit will teach you. So in your prayer times, I'd encourage you, ask the Lord to show you something from his word. Help, ask him for help to understand what the scriptures are saying. And if you do that, you'll continue to learn. And, and believe me, when you do that, you'll find that those scriptures that you're learning are not just for you, but they're also for you to share with others. And th- these little steps of faith, there's a, there's a, 
pastor, his name is Eugene Peterson, and he puts it this way. I love the phrase that he uses for these small steps of faith. He says that the Christian life is, um, what does he say here? He says that it is a long obedience in the same direction. And I love that because it starts with small steps. It's not like, I'm not encouraging you to read through the entire Bible over the next week or the next month. No, but you can take steps to where you're reading more, to where you're praying more, to where you are surrendering, your, surrendering yourself to God more. It's a long obedience in the same direction. Because see, this is what turned this very unlikely event into an opportunity to witness about Jesus and to be used by God. It was Philip's understanding of the Old Testament, of understanding what these prophecies were for, that they pointed to Jesus, that all of the scriptures were about Jesus, that Jesus fulfills these prophecies, right? And so because, Jesus, because excuse me, Philip understood that, God used him to share with this man and, and have impact as this man goes back to his homeland, right? Because all of scripture relates to Jesus, it, it points to him as we live simply about Jesus. The scripture too is simply about Jesus. Because again, God is the one who's orchestrating these events. He's putting these people in these places. But we also need to know him. And we know him through his word through the Bible and through prayer and time spent with him. Okay, so let's finish up our reading here, continuing in verse 36. It says, and as they were going along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, see, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. So here we see that Philip's work here with this man is done. He made a disciple and this disciple would go back and tell his people Tradition holds that this man did just that. He actually went back to Ethiopia and made disciples there as well. While tradition says that, we don't know exactly for sure. But what we do know, especially from the scripture, is that he was converted. He came from spiritual death to spiritual life, right? We see that God changed his heart because he met Jesus through Philip telling him, he came to, to know Jesus, who Jesus was, because Philip was able to, to tell him about who Jesus was. And then it shows that he followed Jesus as well. He wanted to follow Jesus. And so he said, he saw water. He said, why can't I be baptized? I want to follow him right now. Right? He asked to be baptized as a picture of his resurrection from death to life. We see this man meet, know, and follow Jesus. As we wrap up our time here this morning, I, I just want to take a second look at this man, as, at this eunuch here, because he too seems like a very unlikely candidate for an indigenous missionary. Uh, 
because again, as a eunuch, he wasn't able to enter the temple, right? So you'd think, how could God use this man, right? He came a long way to worship in Jerusalem, but he, he wasn't able to, to go into the temple. And then we see, you know, he's leaving after worshiping, and then he pulls out his copy of the scriptures. He reads from the scroll of Isaiah, and he's reading it. But clearly what he says to Philip is, I don't understand what this is talking about, Right? So, so put yourself in this man's shoes as, as, again, a foreigner. He's not a Jew, but he wants to follow the law, right? Put yourself in, him, in his shoes. Just imagine, okay, God, I want to follow the, the law, the, the rituals that you've set out. So I'm going to go to the temple, but I, I can't go into the temple. And now I'm, I'm, I'm trying to read the scriptures, right? I'm trying to read the prophets, but I don't quite understand what it's saying. It could be a, a, a pretty frustrating situation here. And, but what we see here through Philip is that this man meets Jesus. And when he meets Jesus, everything changes, right? It's like Jesus was the missing piece of this whole thing, right? Because God's law and, and the prophecies were pointing to Jesus. Jesus is the one who fulfilled the law, who fulfilled those rituals, that the, that the temple, he no longer had to worship at the temple. He worshiped through who Jesus was, right? Jesus fulfilled the law. And, and when we meet Jesus, just like this man did, we are overjoyed, right? It says that he, he left after, becoming, after being baptized. This man left full of joy, he could have had a great relationship with him and Philip. Maybe they would have gone to Ethiopia together, but that's not what God had planned. Philip left, but this man was still overjoyed because he met Jesus. He was a follower of Jesus, right? Jesus turns our confusion into joy. We trade in our rituals for his righteousness. Jesus is the one who makes sense out of all of this. And this is so cool. Look at this. Notice what the eunuch was reading, okay? God was actually speaking directly into this man's life. He was telling this man that you are not alone and that Jesus went through exactly the same kinds of trials that he was facing. Because as we read in verse 33, I'm gonna read it again. And this comes from Isaiah 53. It's talking about Jesus here. It says, in his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. Generation here is is talking about a, a legacy, right? A family, children to carry on his name. This prophecy is specifically saying, what about, what about Jesus's legacy? What about the children that he would have had? He didn't have any because he was killed unjustly. The, the idea of, of children, of a legacy, of a nation to come after him was cut short because of his death. His life was taken away from the earth. And this man too, this eunuch, he knew that he wouldn't have a generation after him. He couldn't have children to carry on his name. Physically, it was impossible for him to have children. And yet Jesus' story didn't end with his death. It culminated in his resurrection. And, And then further on, we look forward to, you know, he ascended, we look forward to when he returns in power, right? 
And so too, this, this man, this eunuch, his story's not over with either. He was brought, again, from spiritual death to spiritual life. He was resurrected in Jesus' resurrection as well. And he would go on to become the spiritual father to those with whom he would share the gospel back in his homeland. Okay, one more thing. This is so cool because as you think about him, now he has met Jesus. He knows him. He's following Jesus. Now imagine he goes back to his chariot. He pulls out that scroll again. Okay, now it makes sense. These prophecies make sense of who Jesus was, what he did for me, what he offers as Lord over all. Okay, and he continues to read the scroll. He was reading in Isaiah 53. Just a few short chapters later, look at what he's gonna stumble upon. Isaiah 56, I'm gonna start in verse three. He says, let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, behold, I am a dry tree. See, this man was, again, a foreigner, but God was speaking right to him. He said, don't say you're separate. You're not a second-class citizen. No, I have brought you fully over into the kingdom of God, right? It doesn't matter where you were born or how you look or the culture that you came from, right? No, you are adopted. You are a son of the most high God. Continuing, Isaiah says, for thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my malls, walls, excuse me, a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. God was speaking to this man right into his situation right through the words that the prophets had written hundreds of years before. God spoke right to him, assuring him that he was a member of the kingdom, that he was fully brought into the family of God and that God's plan for him was better than anything he could ever experience in the court of the queen. This man would not be forgotten he would, he would leave a legacy. His impact would echo throughout all of time as a follower of Jesus. I mean, we're talking about him this morning. Because while what we see as humans is a man who will never have children, he'll never have a physical legacy, God sees so much more. And God's perspective is what matters the most. See, from our human eyes, from our human perspective, none of this story makes sense. Why would Philip leave a thriving ministry in Samaria and go out into the desert? Why would God use a eunuch in the court of the Ethiopian queen? Right? None of this makes sense. But this actually is what God's plan is, to take the gospel out into all of the world. And he's still using unlikely people today. If we can see ourselves and our lives led by the Holy Spirit into our own mission fields, we can become a part of God's greater story. 
right? We can fit into the, the whole purpose of why were we, why we were created. God calls us as disciples of Jesus to make disciples of Jesus. We can see ourselves as a part of history that reaches back to the very beginning of God's grand narrative throughout all of history. So again, I have to say that God has placed you right where he wants you to do his will. It's no accident that your friends are who they are, that your family is who they are, that your work situation is what it is right now. It's no accident that our culture may seem to be going crazy here in America, right? That, that America is embracing and reveling in and celebrating sin. It's no accident. But you were called for such a time as this. God has placed you here as a follower of Jesus into this mission field to carry out his will. You can't see what God is doing. I, I don't know what God is doing but it's much more glorious than your plans. It's much better than my ideas, right? And, and sometimes it does feel like a desert. It feels barren, feels lonely sometimes. Uh, sometimes just raising kids or grinding out another day at the office just seems tedious, but God is working in and through you. Know his word so that you're ready to give an answer to those who ask you about him, about what makes you different. Know his word. Go to the scriptures. Know who Jesus is so that you can speak. You can speak to your kids. You can speak to your friends and even strangers if God leads you that way as well. Because God will use your words. Look at how he used Philip. Right, to speak right into this man's life. Philip could see these prophecies about Je what Jesus would face on earth and he could explain to this man who Jesus was and what Jesus had accomplished. That though we are sinners, that we have rebelled against God, though God's wrath is on us because we have chosen to turn away from him and we deserve punishment from God, Though we are God's enemies, it says that while we were his enemies, the Bible says that Jesus died for sinners. God provides a sacrifice for our sin through Jesus, through the gift of his son. And in him, we have new life. We're raised from death to life through the blood of Jesus through the forgiveness of sins because of what he has done. So if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. Now this morning we're gonna be taking communion and we'll be remembering what Christ has done for us. We get a picture from what we've read of what that can lead to in our lives, right? Going out and making disciples. I'd invite you to take this time to ask God, what is my mission field, right? Where, where do I see wrongly? Where do I trust too much in my own perspective? Where do I not take your view on the world, on people? Where do I focus too much on, on my differences from others? 
Where am I not believing what it is that you say? So let's pray together as we close our time. God, you use unlikely people. You use the weak to shame the strong. You use the foolish to shame the wise. Lord, your ways are not our ways. God, we so often long for our own comfort, but we recognize that your way is much better, that you are working, that you are doing something. So God, help us to take your perspective. Help us to see what you're doing. Help us to have faith when we can't see, when things are rough, when we don't know what the end is going to be. Help us to trust in you that you will arise and our enemies will be scattered. God, all we have is from you. So reveal to us where we need to have your perspective in our lives. Speak to us here this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you we get to come together and worship together. And all these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.